1: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by The Pharmacy, Burger Parlor, and Beer Garden in partnership with 440 Sports and Broadway Sports Media. I'm Justin Graver. With me, as always, Justin Mello. And here today, we are going to break down the mini camp, the rookie mini camp that the Titans held over the weekend, as well as react to the schedule, which was released last Thursday. I feel like this happens sometimes with our pod, just based on the timing. Like To me, the schedule release was really cool when it happened, and it's only Monday night, but by now it's old news, but that's just kind (laughs) of the the deal with having a Monday night Tuesday morning pod is that last Thursday's news feels old already, so we're not going to spend too much time there. There's plenty of other podcasts and content, broadwaysportsmedia.com and the other pods from Broadway Sports that can break down the schedule for you. We'll, We'll talk about it briefly at the end of the pod today, but before we get into that, we got some news. Justin, how's it going? I'm doing well,
0: doing well. A little over the place today, man. We got some players to cover we got rookie minicamp to cover, some schedule nuggets, as you said. And of course, as always, uh, a beef of the week that you've identified.
1: Exactly. So we're going to get into all that. Let's start by talking some rookie minicamp takeaways. And we'll begin this conversation by discussing some guys that we didn't get a chance to talk about on our last pod. Before the official UDFA class was announced by the Titans, we had it on good authority that there were 13 names. Kiaris Jackson, the wide receiver from Georgia, was on our list. There was a lot of confusion over the last few days. Where's Karis Jackson? He wasn't on the field at rookie minicamp. He was there, but he wasn't practicing. He wasn't announced with the class the Titans announced. So the Titans announced 14 guys. We covered 12 of them on the last pod. The other two, linebacker Otis Reese from Mississippi and cornerback Anthony Kendall from a college called Baldwin Wallace. Very interesting. Never heard of it. Um, so... So he's the
0: interesting one, Anthony Kendall, right? Because he played D3 football. That's why you've never heard of it, Graver. It's D3. Isn't isn't that crazy? Yeah. This guy was on their radar. But look, he's 5'10", 180. He had some really good testing numbers. And that's probably what landed him on their radar, right? He ran the 40 and 4.44 seconds. Even more impressive. What do you always say about a three cone? You always say sub seven? Yep. 701 in three cone. How about the lower body explosion? 39 and a half inch vert, 11 foot one broad. 31 career contests he played for them uh, there at Baldwin Walls. 127 tackles, 20 PBUs, six interceptions. So it's a guy that had a lot of success at the D3 level. And there were other teams that were interested in him. So certainly got interesting. And uh, and here he is coming in, joining the 90 man roster.
1: Yes. So so that'll be, you know, you get, give it, Take a flyer on a guy with some crazy athletic measurables and see if he can uh, catch up and pick up the you know play at an NFL level. We'll see how he does here. He uh, those two guys join six others who were announced as players that were signed after the rookie minicamp. Guys who were there on a tryout basis. Here's where Kiaris Jackson comes into play. He was one of those six guys. Another wide receiver, Gavin Holmes, at a Baylor. Two cornerback, three cornerbacks. L.J. Davis from Northern Arizona. Eric Garor, Garor, who knows, from Louisiana, and Armani Marsh from Washington State. And then one offensive lineman, Center James Empey from BYU. So one of the things we discussed last week was that there was Sort of a lack, or I guess a lower number than we expected, maybe of corners and wide receivers in the UDFA class, because the Titans are just so light there in terms of their depth that maybe they would pick up a few undrafted free agent guys and take a chance and see if they find a a diamond in the rough. Well, they've added here now, I guess, one more wide receiver because we discussed Karras Jackson and three more cornerbacks in addition to the two guys we just discussed. Who one's a linebacker, one's a cornerback. So. Picking up some pieces in the secondary. Any anything of to note about any of these guys?
0: Yeah, there are a couple quick things I'll say. LJ Davis uh, spent this past year at Northern Arizona, sixth-year senior, I believe, because he started out at Southern Utah and he Mm -hmm. got there in 2017. He was there till 2021. Again, wrapped up at 2022 at at Northern Arizona. Eleven games this past year in modest numbers: 32 tackles, 11 PBUs, and two interceptions. The other interesting one there is, of course, Kiaris Jackson. You talked about how is he here? Is he not here? He was not announced initially with the signings, but then someone discovered a photo of him arriving at the facility. And then Mike Vrabel was quick to admit that he was working through some things, whether that was he had a minor injury, they were checking out uh, a hangup with the contract, whether that's language dollar amount, whatever it is, it did get done. This is a guy that um, I, You got to ask some questions on, in all honesty, right? Because when when you're signing a guy from Georgia, a receiver, I think there's a sense of excitement, right? But then you look at the numbers. This past year was a career best year for him. 21 catches for 320 yards. Wow. Right? Like the production leaves a lot to be desired for that to be a career best year as a senior. 20 catches for 300 yards. So why, right? I think that's the question. That A guy that puts up those kind of numbers typically – isn't always going to get a shot at the NFL level. Right. So I think the question is why, look, you know, he was behind some decent guys, of course, you know, played there with George Pickens. We know what Brock Bowers has been able to do for Georgia in the passing game, but that's the big question. It's why, and look, that's 15.2 yards per catch this past year. So he made some explosive plays when he had opportunity to do so, but why wasn't he more involved? We know, look, not a high powered, high octane passing offense at Georgia, right. With Stenson Bennett over there in the run game still, still not enough, right, from a production standpoint. So you got to ask that question. The last thing I'll say about the new names, James MP, you said, the O-lineman out of BYU. I'd be lying if I said I knew much about him. But what I am going to say is, haven't I talked on this show about the the similarities between the BYU offense, how they run a lot of outside zone, um, and, and the Titans offense. And th- there's been some similarities there in years past. They signed a UDFA O-lineman out of BYU a couple of years ago, a year or two ago. He didn't stick. I think his name was... I've got a decent memory. I think it was Chandon Herring, if I remember correctly, was the BYU UDFA, right. and uh, here's another one. So uh, as I said, they they seem to keep going back to that well. They see a lot of similarities in the scheme, and it's a good reason to bring a guy in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we'll see if any of those guys can stick and make an impact. But let's talk about some takeaways that we you know that were observed from Titans rookie mini camp. Now, maybe you you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I was under the impression the rookie mini camp was three days. It seems they were only on the field for two days. So I wonder if one of those days was just like meetings and installation and things of that nature.
0: It probably was, yeah. There's probably a, a gray a grace day there, right? A grace period.
1: Yeah. Um apparently the Friday practice was close to the media. The Saturday practice was open for at least a portion of it was open to the media for observations. And uh all the reports out of this camp are mostly, I mean, incredibly positive, really, for the most part. We'll talk, we'll, we'll focus mostly on the draft picks here because I think that's, you know, kind of the, where everyone wants to see what what's going on. Peter Skaronsky, let's just start there. He's working at tackle and guard. He mentioned in his press conference that he is uh, trying to learn what the, uh, the scheme is asking of the offensive line as a whole and that being positioned flexible is a huge deal for the Titans that versatility that Mike Vrabel loves especially on the offensive line and he mentioned that he's just trying to learn the offense and then he can dig in and and really understand what the left guard responsibility will be what the tackle responsibilities will be but he's working at multiple positions i don't want Titans fans to panic and freak out about this cuz this is not another Dylan Raiden situation where <laughs> you just have no idea what position he's going to play and he ends up you know selling food in the stands or something but um oh, I think that Skaronsky is going to be your left guard. You have it on good authority that the Titans see him as a left guard, but learning to play the other positions is important because if, let's say Andre Dillard ends up the, as the left tackle, if he gets hurt in the middle of a game, who's your emergency tackle? Is it going to be Jalen Duncan, a sixth round rookie? Probably not. Is it going to be Peter Skaronsky possibly kicking out and playing tackle for, you know, three quarters of a game? I think that's the most likely option. So they have to have him prepared. And by all accounts, according to Mike Rabel, he's picking it up. He's understanding the installation. Well, and that's great to hear from your first-round pick because the Titans cannot afford another first-round bust.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think this was exactly how they're supposed to handle this, right? Where he's playing both positions for now. Pay more attention to it when, once he gets around the vets, right? Because you look at, as you said, I wrote an article on Broadway Sports for our premium members uh, about Skoronsky's position and how the Titans view him internally. Um, but at this rookie minicamp, you said how many tackles were even there? Right, right. Like think, like you need you you need to field an offense. You need reps, right? Like outside of Jalen Duncan, who else was there? I'm not familiar, again, overly familiar with the BYU guy, but you need to play with two tackles, right? Maybe you had a, a couple on tryout, I'm sure, but they didn't sign any of them, right? So it's yeah. like you you need to kick them out there to tackle for this rookie mini camp and work easier to get interior lineman in there, especially uh, when you've got guys on tryout, right? So. I'm not surprised by it. I think it's the right thing to do. Um, look, if Andre Dillard arrives, he works in with the vets, and Skaronsky's taking first-team practice reps at left tackle, then that becomes a storyline, in my opinion. But for right. now, it's exactly what it's supposed to be. Um, I'll just say he, uh, hopefully he is getting you know really familiar with that left guard spot.
1: Yeah, ag- agreed. I think that that's definitely the takeaways there. You, you said it well. Um, you mentioned Jalen Duncan there, a clip circulating on social media of how well Peter Skaronsky was doing uh, also showed a little bit of struggles from Jalen Duncan. He's wearing Isaiah Wilson's old number, and in a in a double-team drill, you know, where the, I think it's guard and tackle or guard and center, are, are practicing like a combo block where they climb to the second level. Well, Jalen Duncan was the victim of a play where Skaronski threw him onto his ass, and he really looked like Isaiah Wilson on that play where, uh, you know, that one snap that Wilson got on special teams where he was Warned. trying to block for a field goal and got thrown on his ass, It looked a lot like that. A No Context Titans Twitter account posted a side-by-side video of it, and you can really see the similarities there. But um, there's not much else that we know about how Jalen Duncan performed. That's the only clip circulating. But, again, I wouldn't read too much into that and and think, oh, this guy's a bust. I mean, he's a guy that was a a sixth-round pick. We knew he was a project. He's got the athletic measurables, and they're going to try to coach him up into a, a useful player but you don't expect him to walk in day 1 in a drill that's designed to favor the offense a 2 on 1 block and expect to hold a zone against the first round pick at a, playing a defensive line position as like a what? dummy basically so again i'm not not worried about what we saw there but it was a pretty funny clip circulating around <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't have a ton to add to it, to be honest. Because I'm like, like uh, you said he's playing D-line as a dummy, essentially, right? Like, he's not going to play on that side of the ball. So if you want to have a takeaway, make
1: it positive. Peter Skronski looked pretty good climbing to the second level there. Absolutely. Um, I want to talk about Will Levis. We'll spend a little more time here because, you know, that's the nature of playing quarterback. You get more focus from media people like us. And Will Levis, I hate to say this so early, but... Will Levis is a freaking stud. This guy's the next Josh Allen. What's stopping him? Come on, everybody. <laughs> let's get excited. What What is the deal with Titans fans still not being excited about Will Levis? I mean, I know we only saw like, what, three or four throws tweeted out by Titans social media. Sure, they're not going to show us the bad throws. They're not going to show us, they're not going to release a, a tweet of him overthrowing somebody or dirtballing or throwing an interception or anything like that. But according to Jim Wyatt's observations article, he only had one or two real misses throwing the ball. I think they Jim said he went like 11 for 14 or 12 for 14 or something in, in one of the practices, including a, a dime to Josh Wiley down the seam to end one of the practices. I think that was the Saturday practice. And just the few videos we've seen, uh, Mike Herndon tweeted one out. This kid can throw the freaking football. Is Will Levis, does Will Levis have the most pure arm talent of any Titans quarterback that we have studied or or covered, I guess, I mean, ever since they became the Titans, Steve McNair, amazing quarterback, amazing leader, tough ass son of a bitch. I wouldn't say he had incredible arm talent. Ryan okay, Tannehill. Slow down though, there's no need for us to be bringing up Steve McNair. I'm this. just going through quarterbacks. Marcus <laughs> Mariota was really fun for a few years, and then injuries. You know, he never really really like improved beyond what he was in his rookie season or sophomore season. But I wouldn't classify him as one of the top arm talents. He got I worse. No, he got I'll worse over time. Worse. Ryan Tannehill, extremely accurate, probably would be the the reigning best arm talent quarterback the Titans have had. I'm not going to get into Vince Young and his sidearm throws. I'm not going to get into Jake Locker who couldn't really hit a slant to save his life. I'm not even going to get into the sixth round picks, the Luke Fox and those guys, because what's the point? Malik Luke Willis. Falk. Malik Willis has arm talent as well, but not not the kind that Will Levis is demonstrating in these few clips. I mean, the one throw of him rolling to the right and flicking the ball effortlessly down the sideline to a receiver who goes up and makes a catch, a contest, a nice contested catch, by the way. That throw just looks incredible. And the other videos they've put out, Mike tweeted another one where just just demonstrating his lightning quick release from the time Will Levis decides to throw the ball to the time the ball leaves his hand it is like a flash. It is it is instant. And I think honestly, his throwing motion and his the way that he moves with the ball and, and throws on the run, he looks like a young Aaron Rodgers out there. After Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, after Aaron Rodgers fixed his throwing motion, Will Levis doesn't even need to go through the process of fixing his throwing motion, working on his mechanics. One of the things he was asked in the press conference was, is there anything mechanical the coaches are having you work on? And he said, No, it's just mostly learning the offense, learning the terminology. Um There is some stuff with having your feet match your eyes, but it's mostly, you know, very similar to what I did at Kentucky, which was a pro-style offense. Look, I know this is way too early and I'm super overreacting in a very, very positive way. I'm just trying to raise the excitement level for this kid because I feel like Titans fans historically, whenever you draft a quarterback and fan bases in general, team drafts a quarterback, fans instantly fall in love with him and think he's the next Tom Brady or whoever. Titans fans are not that high on Will Levis. And I just think that's an understatement. That the, hate, the hate has gone way too far. This kid has shown some remarkable abilities very, very early on. We don't know how he's going to be when you know, the bullets really start flying against the live rush and all that. But so far, I'm impressed. That's all I have to say.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to go as deep, I think, as you went or as positive as you went. <laughs> I'll say a couple things um, to your point. The not fixing the mechanics thing that he mentioned, that's obviously a really good sign. Right. Like they, they like where he's at. And I, I hate to say it, but it's the opposite of what they did with Malik Willis last year. Right. Where when he came in and they like broke the thing down and tried to fix the mechanics bottom up and, and, and totally changed right. everything. Right. Like that's the difference between getting a project and a guy that played in a pro style offense at Kentucky that has similarities and carry over to what the Titans do offensively. Certainly I, I have on very good account. So that that's one positive I will say the two videos that certainly impressed me were the ones you talked about. The lightning quick release, that was very impressive. The way the ball jumped out of his hands is incredible. And then the the, the throw rolling to the right, as you said, I thought was very, very impressive. And of course, you know, there, there's no simulated pass rush, really. But why is he escaping the clean pocket, I saw someone ask. Well, you're probably trying to work on the mental clock, right? Like at that point, he had probably held onto the ball, it looked like for what, two and a half, three seconds, maybe a little bit more, maybe a hair over three seconds. You have to figure in a real game. when You said when the bullets are flying, a pass rush is getting there, right? So you probably do got to roll out and see if you can make that throw on the move. So uh, I I did think the lightning quick release was very impressive. Very good news on the mechanics. The the throw rolling, it almost looked like a a no-looker to me at one point, too, when he was rolling out to his right there. It was just really, really impressive the way uh, he got the ball out of his hands. Uh, Love what I'm seeing. It's obviously I, I, you can't even call it early. It's it's even before, earlier than early days. I know. <laughs> Say anything about Will? Let's get to training camp. Let's get to preseason. Uh, curious to see how he looks again when when you know next to Ryan Tannehill against the first string defense. Very excited for the preseason, even though it's still oh, a few yeah. months away. Uh, but very very good stuff at rookie mini camp from him.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to overreact here. All I'm saying is he is going to be somewhere between Josh Allen and Aaron Rodgers. So everyone needs to raise <laughs> the hype a little bit. Whatever no, the
0: in-between is.
1: <laughs> Speaking of him, though, yeah,
0: did you read the, the my article? I hope you read my article on uh, on Uh The your way you're hyping him up, it sounds like you read it. Because oh, yeah. I got to speak with uh, Jordan Palmer, his quarterback's coach. Um, had a lot of fun with Jordan. Thought he, he was amazing, incredible, very generous with his time. Had a really good conversation about Will Levis, about pro style quarterbacking versus a guy coming from a spread system and all kinds of other, uh, you know, really interesting topics that Jordan and I spoke with. That is available for Broadway Insiders only, but I do believe um, it is becoming free, I think, later this week. So it was for I think we had a week run on it for insiders. And I think it's going out to everyone later this week. And I've got another treat. Um, if you're a Will Levis supporter, hater, just someone wants to know more about him, whatever it is. Um, I had the opportunity to sit down with Kentucky offensive coordinator, Liam Cohen recently and talk all things, Will Levis. And that was a blast. I feel like I'm doing a Will Levis mini series here and I didn't really plan it that way, but I did the Jordan Palmer thing. And then I go, you know what? I think there's another aspect here that could be uh, explored. Um, and, and and I was hoping it wouldn't come out too similar. And I don't think it did because I spent a lot more time with, with coach Cohen talking about the Kentucky offense and mm-hmm. what they asked of him, what his responsibilities were. Is it similar to the Titans? I even asked coach Cohen. So you weren't there in 2022. What do you think went wrong? Cause he was better in 2021 under you than he was in 2022 under someone else. So uh, really good conversation with coach Cohen. I don't know when it's going out yet, um, but I assume it's going on Broadway sports. I assume it'll be behind the paywall, at least certainly for at least a week for our exclusive uh, for Broadway insiders. I can't wait for everyone to read it, man. Really, really good conversation between coach Cohen and I, he was exceptional. Uh, he was so gracious with his time. He's traveling for a wedding to Florida, made sure he found time, hopped on the phone, spent a, no time limit. We talked for as long as we could I transcribed the heck out of that thing. I can't wait for everyone to read it because there's some really interesting tidbits there about the Kentucky offense, the Titans offense, 2021 versus 2022, and a bunch of other questions I asked him.
1: Can't wait to read that one, and yeah, t- check out the Jordan Palmer interview as well. Joe Rexroad had a really great piece on Levis in the Athletic last week that I would recommend if you're. I mean, if you're like me, you're you're absorbing all the Will Levis content you can get right now because if you're like me, you're super excited to have the next Josh <laughs> Allen, Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback. Okay, I'll stop with that. I'm sorry, I'm being hyperbolic on purpose. It's a joke, everyone. I'm sorry, but I am excited about the kid. And before we move on from Will Levis, I do want to mention a couple other things. So I listened to the the press conference that the players had on Saturday after practice and, you know, the media is all asking all the rookies like Josh Wiley, Tajay Spears, Colton Dowell, like Peter Skaronsky. There's that insane connection between Skaronsky and Will Levis where Will Levis's grandfather was the position coach for Skaronsky's dad, which is crazy. Then they happened to sign with the same agent by coincidence and then they happened to get drafted to the same team also, you know, I don't know if that's coincidence, but I mean, sort of, it is coincidence. So that's a crazy connection. And so Skaronski was talking about getting to know Will Levis. Colton Dowell is actually rooming with Will Levis at the minicamp. So they've been forming a connection. He said that Levis, Dowell, and Josh Wiley were studying the playbook together and and looking to Levis t- for, to answer the questions they had about the playbook because Levis is already so far ahead. Apparently, according to all the people who spoke, Levis is a come off as an extremely hard worker, um... Colton Dowell was making a joke that there's a TV in the hotel room, but he hasn't touched the remote yet because he doesn't want to bother Will while he's studying the playbook because that's what he's been spending all his time doing. And Levis talked about making the transition and, you know, reframing the verbiage in his head that it's it's not, um, you know, we – this is what we call it at Tennessee, and I called it X at Kentucky. He's trying to erase the part of his brain that said, I called it X at Kentucky, and just this is what we call it in Tennessee now. Um, so that's great to hear, and he just seems to be making a, a ton of progress early on. We're going to talk a, a tiny bit more about Will Levis when we get to the schedule, but for now, let's move on and talk about Tajay Spears, who was also you know, electric during this rookie minicamp, apparently flashing some moves to make people miss, a lot of plays, They uh, Jim Wyatt said he was catching the ball out of the backfield and running with it, which we expect to be mostly his role this season, at least as long as Derrick Henry is healthy and on the team. So uh, just another guy I'm, I'm excited about, Tajay Spears. What can he bring to this offense?
0: Well, he's a playmaker, right? And, and you talk about him catching the ball out of the backfield. That's what he did at the senior bowl at such a high level. That's what it got everyone talking about him initially. That's what he did at Tulane at an extremely high level. Of course, in addition to running the ball as well as he did, when you look at this team and you look at the lack of weapons uh, in the passing game, you got to try to factor them in. I hope I think the coaches probably should feel that way as well. Right. You got to factor them in. It's not just who's your receiver too. Well, you know what? Let's get Tajay Spears on the field and get him in a, in a passing down role because he can catch the football. You look at what Dontrell Hilliard did for them a little bit last year uh, when he was healthy. I think he, at one point he was leading the team in receiving touchdowns when he had like four of them, or he had, he had two in the first game, right? Yeah. The Giants in week one. So you look at that and you hope it's sort of elevated, right? Because Tajay Spears is a better athlete than Dontrell Hilliard. He's a more dynamic, um, a speedier guy, certainly, and more dynamic in the open field can make people miss. I've been saying it for a couple episodes in a row now. I think he's going to have a bigger role than people think, because I think he's so electric with the ball in his hands. He's so dynamic. He's going to make plays this year that make you go, oh, my. Oh, wow. Like it's going to be on SportsCenter because he's going to make guys miss. He's going to scamper for 40, 50 yards on a play that he's got no business picking up 40, 50 yards on. That's the type of playmaker he is. So I'm very excited about him. Um, I, I can't wait to see the role they have for him. Again, I think it's going to be a third third down and obvious. Hopefully he can pick up pass pro, right? That's a big thing. If you, want, if you want to live on those downs and you want to have a passing down role, then you got to be able to pass protect. So that's the one thing that could hamper him if he doesn't show that he could do it effectively at his size. But I think he will. I'll tell you, man, I, I got a chance to speak with him a couple times throughout the pre-draft process, interviewed him for the draft network. If you haven't read it, you could go back and find it. He's a tough son of a bitch, man. He's real tough, and he's very confident. A lot of swagger, so very excited about him. I think he's going to make more plays than Titans fans realize.
1: Yeah. One of the interesting things that came out of his press conference was he was asked, you know, we heard a rumor that you don't even have an ACL in one of your (laughs) knees. Like, is that true? And he responded, I'm healthy. And PK followed up, Paul Koharski followed up, trying to get him to say whether or not he had an ACL. And all he said was, I'm healthy, which if you had the ACL... Wouldn't you just say you had it? <laughs> I'll, I'll say this. I mean, the
0: reports are probably accurate, right? Now you're probably safe to assume that he doesn't. But um, you think he was coached up by the media, uh, by whether his agent or Titans PR folk, whatever, to to answer that question? I would say he showed up prepared for that.
1: Question. Oh yeah um vrabel was the last one to speak after all the rookies all the draft picks spoke except jalen duncan and then vrabel came up after them and the first thing he did was he asked Teresa walker how'd they do Teresa, and she said they were all great uh they sound like they know how to you know i can't remember exactly what she said and vrabel goes yeah they've spent a lot of time in the in the media uh coaching um seminar or whatever the the hell the titans call it but like they've spent a lot of time with media relations so far like getting them to you know be those company men that the titans love to have everyone just has the same lines but well, i will sure say I uh, one of those lines that I heard from basically every rookie was, "I'm just trying to get in here, learn my role, and figure out a way to help the team, whether it's on special teams or whether it's being a versatile piece, of, you know, on the offensive line, tight end." Josh Wiley talked about being versatile and just trying to, you know, help the team however he can. He said he knows he's got to earn it every day. Skaronski gave a, a famous Mike Vrabel line that's like, "Once you're in the building, it doesn't matter what where you were drafted. Everybody has on the same footing. Got to earn the respect of your teammates on and off the field." Colton Dowell talked about, you know. Just trying to, you know, come in and, and do everything he can to, to be the best player he can be and get better every day. And talked about himself stumbling on the rope ladders, which you may, may have seen on social media on one of his first reps. And he's like, my mind was just moving a little faster than my body. But, you know, it's good. It's a reminder that I have a long way to go and I have plenty of stuff to work on. And they all just seem to have such a great attitude. And I think that that's a common theme of this draft class. Rand Carthon picking guys that have that attitude that meshes with the Titans culture.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I I didn't hear anything that I thought was out of the ordinary. You hear stuff about special teams. I, I thought they picked up a lot of guys that are good on special teams, right? Like Colton Dowell. Uh, was good on special teams. Jacob Copeland, the UDFA, was very good on special teams. Matthew Jackson, the the safety uh, slash linebacker hybrid defender, was very, very good. Uh, very good tackler, very good on special teams. So I do think that's a common theme. and you talked about Josh Wiley being versatile. What do I keep saying when I bring him up? I say he's right in between Chiga Quonko and Trayvon Wesco, right? where I think he's a better blocker uh, than a Quanquo, but not quite a why only type like Wesco is, right? So that's about being versatile. Talked about versatility with Tajay Spears and how he could help in the passing game. So I do think it's a common theme. And I think all these guys, uh, at least, of course, the ones that make the roster, um, certainly have a chance to, to play on special teams.
1: Yeah. And I think mo- most of the draft picks have a chance to play at least a little bit, you know, on offense or defense. Well, not on defense because none of them were on defense. Um, <laughs> at least have a chance to play a little bit on offense. At Maybe with well, the
0: UDFAs. The UDFAs. Yeah, I yeah. keep looking at safety. I think in how weak they are at safety behind Bayard and Hooker. So if one of those UDFAs can get in there. I like the Boise State kid. I like the Eastern Michigan kid. If one of them can get in there at safety, I think they got a chance.
1: I think, you know, at least half the draft class is going to have a fairly instant impact being Skaronsky, Wiley, and Spears. And then obviously Will Levis will depend on what the coaches decide to do, what the team decides to do with Tannehill, if Tannehill gets hurt or not. Jalen Duncan, I think, is a year away from contributing. Colton Dowell, just being such a late round wide receiver pick, his his chances are slim of making an impact this season. But if you know, if there's injuries or if he impresses, there is there is a chance. But I think for sure three of those guys are going to have an impact. So all right, we should move on now and hit our beef of the week before we get into schedule talk. My beef of the week this week, I'm keeping it simple. It's not that, you know, it's kind of kind of silly, but Mike Clay put out his he does this thing he does every position group ranking them uh, uh compared to every other team in the league and he put out his 2023 NFL offensive line unit rankings with potential starters this was on may 12th what was that friday he has the titans ranked 32nd Now, my beef of the week is not with ranking the Titans 32nd. The Titans offensive line has got to prove it. I think they made what could be upgrades for this season, but those upgrades could also backfire just as easily. Andre Dillard hasn't really ever made it through a healthy season. Aaron Brewer moving to center. It's a new position for him, and he wasn't, you know, a standout guard by any means last year. NPF had plenty of struggles as a rookie. Brunskill coming over from the 49ers has been, you know, a career backup who's played really well when pressed into action, but he's never really been that guy you can count on as a starter. They lost Ben Jones, their best offensive lineman from last year. So is this offensive line actually better? TBD. Peter Skaronsky, a rookie at left guard. Maybe he'll be great as a rookie. Maybe it takes some time to adjust to the NFL. So my beef of the week is not with Mike Clay putting them at 32. My beef of the week is leaving Dillard out of the starting lineup completely. In favor of Dylan Raiden's at right guard, he has Skaronski at left tackle, which, I mean, maybe that will happen. But we've heard, you've heard that he's penciled in right now for left guard for the Titans. Dylan Radins is coming off a torn ACL in December. This guy's not starting, let alone, he's definitely not starting the season as the starter. He's never shown anything in his career to say that he could be a starter at right guard, which is basically what they signed Brunskill to be. I don't understand this. It's really weird, but... Um, Yeah, he's got Brunskill at left guard, Skronsky at left tackle, Raiden's at right guard, and no Andre Dillard in the starting lineup. What is this, Mike Clay? I'm beefing with you, bro. (laughs) Well, you know what? I'll agree with you, and it's funny that we agree that.
0: My beef isn't that they're ranked 32nd, because they might be, in all honesty. I I don't think that's an erroneous (laughs) thing to say. Uh, My issue, you're right, is how are you going to leave Andre Dillard out? They gave him $10 million a year annually. Right. It's not huge money, but it's pretty big money. Right. Like, I'll take it tomorrow if I could. Right. Like good <laughs> money. Right. So uh easier starting left tackle. So be for the week. With my, if you at least get it right. And I know it's tough probably to get it right for all 32 teams, but got to make a better effort than he made probably because I don't know how he came away with that, with Raiden's being the starter. I'll add one quickly. Be for the week, sponsored by the pharmacy. Titans need a kicker. How about Luis Aguilar? USFL, Philadelphia eight for eight this past week counted for all 24 points they won the game three of those kicks were from 50 plus yards 51 55 56 game winner 55 yard field goal someone's got to sign the kid get him into rookie minicamp get him into camp immediately why not the titans be for the week sponsored by the pharmacy go sign Luis aguilar
1: yeah and don't let the colts take him because that would be a nightmare scenario for the titans (laughs) um one last note on the mike clay thing dude works for espn just look at the depth chart listed on the ESPN for the Titans. It's Andre Dillard, Peter Skaronsky, Aaron Brewer, Daniel Brunskill, Nicholas petit from left to right. There Where you are go. you getting this Dylan Raiden's crap from? Anyway, <laughs> all right. That's the Beef of the Week presented by the Pharmacy, Burger Parlor, and Beer Garden. Let's get into the schedule because it came out last Thursday. Titans, I'm not going to run through every game, every matchup, every week by week because you can find it anywhere online. Let's just hit some of the high points here. We'll start off with the bye week. Bye week is week seven. That's after the London game. So the Titans are going to London to host the Baltimore Ravens. So they quote unquote lose a home game. But correct me if I'm wrong this season, you know, with the 17 game schedule, the AFC is the conference with more home games. So the Titans still get eight games at Nissan Stadium, eight road games and one game at Tottenham Stadium in London uh, against the Ravens. And then they have their bye week seven. Who's the starting quarterback week eight? That's all I want to talk about with this. Wow. I'm not I'm not brave enough to say it's not Ryan
0: Tannehill. I think it's still early enough in the year where, you know, I don't think Jacksonville's gonna be six and two, seven and one. Like I don't think they're gonna be that good. Even if the Titans are three and five, or or I guess you, that's after week six, right? So even if they're two and four, um I, I think it's still Ryan Tannehill. I'm not gonna factor in an injury. It's hard to so That's pretty early in the yeah. year. So he'd have to get hurt real early. If they're one and five. Or zero and six, then I can see them making a change. But I'd like to think they're not worse than two and four. And at that point, you're you're it's so early. You're still alive for the division. No one's gonna be six and zero.
1: Yeah, I mean the the Titans first six games. They're at New Orleans. Then they're home against the Chargers. At Cleveland Browns. Home against the Bengals. At Indianapolis Colts, home against the Ravens. We don't necessarily know how all these teams are going to look once the season starts, but I don't see any of those teams having like a super ferocious pass rush. They don't play the 49ers this year. They don't play the Eagles this year. I don't see necessarily—I mean, I'm pr- trying to project if Ryan Tannehill will get injured by looking at the pass rushers they're going <laughs> to yeah, face. Yeah, I was going to say— <laughs> Probably a pretty stupid exercise, especially since we don't know if the Titans offensive line is going to be any good or not. And if they're terrible, then they don't necessarily have to face a ferocious ferocious pass rush for Ryan Tannehill to get hurt. I think it was against the Chargers last year that he actually sprained that ankle, right? So... Um, when he was taken off the on a cart. Aggravation. I don't think it was the first time he got, or yeah, he re-aggravated it against the charge. Yeah, but that he was taken off on a cart in that game. So that right. maybe, you know, maybe week two, right? And he'll, you know, breaks his ankle again or something. But anyway, again, yeah, projecting an injury, pretty, pretty foolish exercise. But those are the first six games. I mean, at New Orleans was on your list of five toughest matchups, right? So. It was. I just want to say, and the reason I made the list is, I think anytime
0: you're starting on the road, it's tough right? Like week one, home teams always fired up um, in week one playing in front of the fans for the first time. I think the new Orleans saints are a pretty decent football team. I think they should be a, you know, borderline playoff caliber team this year. They could win the NFC South, which is the most unpredictable division heading into this season. Derek Carr playing at home for the first time in front of the new fans that, you know, that should fire them up, should fire him up. <laughs> Not that the Titans were ever realistically going to be in the race for Derek Carr, but remember they were mentioned quite a bit. So that could be fun to see how, you know, should they have signed Derek, you know, it's silly to make that on one game, but it'll be Ryan Tannehill versus Derek Carr. That's a fun head-to-head. Tajay Spears gets the debut at home, right? He's from the area, so that'll be a lot of fun for him playing his first professional game in New Orleans. Uh, if there's one break, Titans catch here is Alvin Kamara probably won't play this game, right? You have right. to assume he's facing like a, a four to eight game suspension, whatever it is. Um, for his alleged involvement in that off-field incident at the Pro Bowl last year. Uh, Titans will probably get to miss him here. I think it's still a a
1: pretty tough game for him overall. Yeah, I agree with that. So um, just looking at the schedule again, some quirks. Talk about some quirks. The biggest quirk to me is that Week 15, Titans play home versus Houston. Week 16 they're home against Seattle. Week 17 they go to Houston. So they play Houston twice in 3 weeks. It's not even one of those like twice in 3 games where you have a bye week in between thing. This is pretty weird to play the Texans twice in 3 weeks. And that it kind of happened s- with the Colts last year, didn't it? Yeah, but that was w- with a bye week in the middle, so it was right. different. The, I mean, it wasn't still that stupid, different. Though. It's, it's, still point. Point. it's still stupid. Still <laughs> stupid. And I also think this is a bit of an unlucky draw for the Titans because Houston but is, you know, expected to roll out a rookie quarterback. It'd be nice to play them at least once early in the year while Stroud is still getting his, you know, his feet under him. They don't play Stroud until week 15. By week 15, C.J. Stroud could be the front runner for Offensive Rookie of the Year. We don't know how that's going to shake out, but I do think it's a bit of an unlucky draw that they get Houston so late. And they also play so many division games at the end of the year. Week 13, week 15, week 17, week 18 are all division games. Crazy. 13 is home against the Colts, and they finish the year at home against Jacksonville. Nice to finish the year at home. Uh because they could be playing Jacksonville for the AFC South in that game. Obviously, the schedule makers expect that, because I don't think the schedule makers are, are thinking that Indy or Houston are going to be playing each other for the division. So if Jacksonville won it last year, Titans were playing Jacksonville for the division last year, you'd assume that the schedule makers are saying, these are the two AFC South teams with the best chance to win the division. Let's put them head-to-head week 18 and see who can do it. So that'll be an exciting matchup.
0: Yeah. That'll be a fun one for sure. And I, look, the Titans are going to be able to control their own fate. They hope towards the end of the year with all those divisional games, that's what it might come down to. Right. I did earmark the, the week 11 game against Jacksonville is an intriguing one. That's the first time of, of course that they play them this year. Again, that's a late one, right? Week 11 for the first time you play Jacksonville. I think what's the most interesting thing to me about that one. And it's re- one of the reasons I marked it as one of their five most difficult games. And I think that one, as opposed to the week 18 game, because for the obvious a that's the road version, right. Of that game. And B that'll be their third consecutive road game. So they're at Pittsburgh in week nine, then they're at Tampa Bay in week 10 and then it's Jacksonville in week 11. So I mean, take that how you will, but pretty tough, right? To be on the road three weeks in a row. Which one's the most difficult of the three? It's usually the last one, right? Because yeah. you've been on the road two weeks in a row, and it happens to be a divisional game, which is typically tougher, right? Whereas the Tampa one in week 10, and un- an unfamiliar opponent, Pittsburgh, you know, they're not as familiar in recent years. So uh, that's a tough one. Another one I earmarked for obvious reasons. Oh, wait,
1: before we move on there, let me just say the the one saving grace about that three-game road trip you mentioned the first one is a thursday night game so at least it's not it's not ideal still to have three games in a row it doesn't change that they have three road games in a row but they do get that little mini bye there right after the first game the only downside to that is their bye is two weeks prior to that so they go bye right. week then they play atlanta then they play a thursday night game then they have mini bye and then the continue that three game road trip so At least they get a little extra rest during the road trip, but but still a tough stretch of games there to be on the road three times in a row.
0: Yeah. One of of the other games I earmarked as as being tough, and this was a a bit more obvious reason. It didn't take much analysis on my part. It's the Cincinnati Bengals in week four. Um, Yeah. This is a team that's had their number, obviously, right? Like, you lost to them last year during the regular season. And I think everyone said, oh, this is going to be a revenge game for the Titans. It wasn't. They lost to them again, right? They <laughs> obviously you all remember the playoff heartbreaker in 2021. Um, they lost to them in the regular season, even in Joe Burrow's rookie year when the Bengals were terrible, right? So Joe Burrow is three and zero against the Titans. All three games, I think, were decided by like, uh, just a couple of points. Last year was a four-point loss. The playoff game was a three-point loss. I actually think the 2021 was the, was the biggest blowout, Yeah, which is pretty ironic because that was the worst version of the Bengals and Joe Burrow they've played. But he's 3-0 against the Titans. He's got their number. That's a tough one. I, w- I will also add that's the best team they play all year right? Like this is a fairly favorable schedule in all honesty. And like you said, we don't know how these things are going to play out, but I feel pretty good saying the Bengals are the best team they're going to play because they don't play the Kansas city chiefs. They don't play the Buffalo bills. They don't play the Philadelphia Eagles. They don't play the San Francisco 49ers. They don't play the Dallas Cowboys. Like these are some of the teams I expect to be pretty damn good. Um, they don't play the jets right with Aaron Rodgers, Like, if the Bengals aren't the best team they play, it's they're the second or third best team. But I feel pretty confident saying that's the best team on their schedule.
1: Well, on that note, I have a comment. So Ben Baldwin, who you know is a pretty big analytics guy on Twitter, he tweeted out a uh, like a chart that splits the every team into tiers based on their betting market ratings. So how m- much they're favored in the betting market and their win total over-unders in the betting market. And the Titans are the one, two, three, four, fifth worst team according to betting markets. Now one thing you have to take into consideration there that Nashville is a small market team. Not a lot of people are out there always betting on the Titans, so they get kind of dinged for that because they know people aren't you know, going to take the Cowboys when they play the Titans, so the Cowboys get an extra little point of being favored to you know, help the sportsbooks make more money. But the interesting note about this chart, the Titans don't play any team that is ranked in the top seven of the betting markets, and they get to play uh, in the bottom six teams. They get to play... Seven times because the Colts and the Texans are both in the bottom six teams. So they play seven games against bottom six teams and zero games against top seven teams. That was pointed out on Twitter by Brayden Gall. Shout out to Brayden. That's at least that's a pretty favorable quirk in the schedule. I hate analyzing strength of schedule difficulty based on previous year's records because This is not the previous year. We see every season a team in a division goes worst to first. The Jags did it last year. Somebody's going to do it again this year. It makes no sense to sit here and predict strength of schedule based on how good everyone was last year. Last year is over. The teams are all different. Most of them have, you know, most of the worst teams last year have new quarterbacks. A lot of the teams that were good last year are going to fall off a little bit or regress, like the Vikings, for example. Strength of schedule based on previous year's record, is stupid. So looking at the the betting markets is a much better assessment of how good or bad a team could be. They're not always right. In fact, they're often wrong. But it's at least more accurate than looking at last year's uh, records for strength of schedule. So all that to say... The Titans have an extremely favorable schedule. They actually have a favorable schedule according to last year's records as well, even though I hate using that as a metric. And they have an even more favorable schedule when compared to the betting market uh, rankings. And another thing that's uh, favorable about the Titans' schedule, they don't travel that much. I mean, they travel... They're, they're below middle of the pack in terms of total miles that they have to travel. They do play in a lot of time zones compared to most teams, but a lot of that travel that the Titans have to do that puts them as high as they are, which is not that high. It's like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14th most travel or 14th fewest travel. They go to London. That's a far ass trip. If they didn't go to London, they'd be way that's lower crazy. on this list. That's crazy. Another thing that's favorable about the Titans' uh, schedule is the uh, rest time and the um, rest differential. So the amount of rest that they have versus the amount of rest that the teams that they're playing have leading into certain games. The Titans have are in the top 15 for best rest differential ever in the history of the, the, the uh, schedule makers analyzing this. Stat, East and Freeze tweeted this one out. The Titans, I mean, there's one, two, three, four, five teams this year that are in, like, the top 15 of best rest, best net rest differential of, uh, of all time. But the Titans are in that category. They have a really uh, strong rest differential this year, which is just, like, one of those minor schedule quirks that may or may not mean anything, but it's definitely helpful to have it and uh, helpful when, you know, as opposed to not having it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. Look, the
0: season's a long one and it's grueling. Anytime you're traveling less than the other teams, strength of schedule, all that stuff matters. It all, more rest, traveling less. It all, it all matters. And it adds up at the end of the year, your body might be feeling a little better than the next guys, right? Once you get to week 10, 11, 12, 13, that stuff starts to make a difference.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Last thing I want to mention about the schedule here is the number of primetime games. So we mentioned the Thursday night game. The Titans also play on Monday night football in week 14 at Miami. That's a tough game. Very on tough On the road game. in Miami on Monday night football in primetime. Yeah. Made my list. Top five toughest <laughs> games of
0: the year. Very difficult. When I thought of it, this is a sad way to put it, but I go, okay, how are the Titans going to cover Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle? And then I flipped the side, flip sides of the field. I said, okay, And who's going to get open against press man coverage against Jalen Ramsey, uh,
1: Xavier Howard, and Javon Holland? Yeah, that's a tough game. Derrick Henry's got to win him that one. (laughs) Enough said. (laughs) Um, I think what's interesting about this, you know, if you are a Titans fan who thinks that Will Levis is not the guy and you're rooting for them to be terrible this year so they have a shot at Caleb Williams... All this schedule stuff does not help that. You know, the rest differential, the total miles traveled, the strength of schedule. The Titans' record has a pretty decent chance to be a little inflated this year, a little better than they actually are as a team, even though, you know, Bill Parcells said you are what your record says you are. I disagree, Bill. You're not always what your record says you are. Look at the Vikings in the playoffs last year. Were they really a 13-4 and team? Like, come on, let's be real about this. Um, So that being said, I'm not mad about it. And I was the guy three months ago touting on this podcast how the Titans need to do everything possible to tank for Caleb Williams. They don't need to anymore. You know why? They got Will Levis, baby. <laughs> oh, well, here we go. That's the perfect uh, way to end the pod, I think. Just thought I'd come full circle on that before we get out of here. <laughs> like a stand up um, comedian, you close out with, <laughs> you, you finish with how you started. Absolutely. So hit us up with your best schedule takes. Justin's on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. I'm at Titans Film Room. BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We got the Jordan Palmer article out now. We got the Liam Cohen interview coming soon. You got to check those out so, from Justin but
0: I just live updates for the MCA listeners. You don't get it better than this. Uh, (laughs) By the time you listen to this, there's a very good chance the Liam Cohen article
1: interview will be published already. Boom. So go check that out right now. Hit pause on this podcast. It's over anyway. All, all the thing we have left to do is thank the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in Nashville. Uh, go check them out. Tell the to see Audible sent you there. Now that you heard that, get out of this podcast. Go read the Liam Cohen interview. We'll be back next week to continue talking about the Titans. Until then, y'all stay safe out there and tighten up.